This is Swap Nine Ray. Welcome to the Dreams and Hope podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey where we explore faith, hope, and dreams in the context of lived experience of being human. We are very excited today. Yes. We have a very special guest. I will yeah. let you introduce. Okay. Sounds good. Ray. Yeah, we've had a, a busy summer. Um, if you've noticed, our podcast has been less frequent. It's more my fault than Swapna's, just full disclosure. Um, I've had a busy summer, but we both have kids and we both have activities and Swapna's been to Colorado, which I'm jealous. Um, but I've been to Italy, which makes her jealous. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't, she doesn't <laughs> care. <laughs> but, uh, but we've had a good summer and, uh, it's been, it's been busy, but we're, we're happy to have uh, a friend of mine today uh, on the podcast. Her name is Danae and I'll let her kind of tell who she is and her story, but it's really good to have you, Danae, uh, this Thanks today on our on our Dreams and Hope podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and any information you want to disclose? <laughs> All right. I am a, a teacher at Oklahoma City Public Schools. I work with high school newcomer students um, that are in their first or second year in country, um, whether it be from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala. Um, we had our first Afghan refugees oh, last wow. year. Um, but then I'm also an adoptive mom to a little boy of three, uh, just celebrated my 10th anniversary this year with my husband, Tyler. Um, so we went to Mexico this summer, so we've had a busy summer traveling as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things uh, that I love about, uh, Danae and Tyler, they, they're incredible Disney fans, universal fans. So they, they do these really cool trips and they have a blast and they dress up and their, their pictures are always fun. <laughs> I, I always look at them. I'm like, man, I wish I was more fun. <laughs> we are the matching shirt family. And oh like my gosh, full, like nine people matching shirts every single day. Like, yeah, that's this cool. Is our first year we kind of branched out and let my little brother be like, you don't have to dress just like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, I remember when you guys, um, uh, finalized the adoption and had the hearing and, we actually got a shirt with them. So Christy and I got to join the the family experience with the shirt. So it was really cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ohana has always been our, um, was our foster care motto because in the movie Lilo and Stitch, they uh-huh. say Ohana means family is, um, I just blanked the quote, but it's just about how family um, is forever and no one gets left behind or forgotten. Mm. Um, and so we wanted that to represent that as you welcome our house, you are part of our family when you leave doesn't mean you're out of the family it means you're still part of the ohana forever and ever um and you're never forgotten so you know last year in colorado we stayed at a cottage which was called ohana oh, that's so cool. that's that's such a incredible thing i i come and it was definitely family centric as as is our experience when we stay at colorado yeah that's cool that's so cool. You know, I, I was talking to you a little bit before we started our podcast today and was quite impressed with the journey I've had in teaching a really hard uh, set of children. I mean, all children have challenges, but these children who come as immigrants to America for the first year and have to figure out how to integrate how to be like, speak like, and uh, live like Americans. Uh, I think it must be an incredible journey with them as a teacher for you to to witness it. 
It is. It's a very humbling, sometimes difficult uh, place to be in, but I always joke my class is kindergarten to ninth grade. In one year, I do specialize in phonics, mm-hmm. um, but I can't teach them until I get to know them. And mm-hmm. so we spend a lot of time building relationships and talking, making jokes and letting them know that I am a safe place for them because who knows what they came from or uh, what family member they're living with or what is what is going on most of them live with um, a sibling or an aunt or a cousin that has no relation to them biologically so they've met them for the first time their parents are in a different country and there's just a lot of things going on they see what's going on in the media um, and what's going on in Mexico and they're terrified that their Mm -hmm. parents are still home wondering what's going on and they need people here. And so it's nice to sometimes kind of be able to support them and learn to love them through it um, and figure out how to still get them learning English, but also processing. I always tell them it's seven stages of grief, not that like someone has passed away all the time or something, but leaving your country is leaving your home. And when you come to America, it's always, well, we speak English here. Well, you don't have to. Like, you do not have to sacrifice your culture to come and live here as an immigrant. It's just, um, there's a story we read and it talks about the branches that come together. You take a, a tree from where you, your home country, you take a tree from the United States, they're going to blend together. I'm not saying forget your culture. I'm saying hmm. we're just going to figure out how to piece it together in a healthy way, in a way that's safe for you, in a way that's going to help you learn and benefit you in the future and mm-hmm. go from there. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's beautiful. I like the the phrases you said was you can't teach. I don't exactly how you said it. I've lost it, but you can't teach without knowing someone or the effectiveness of teaching without really getting to know them. That's a relational teaching is powerful um, because it's tied to that. I I remember when I first, and as you're talking and describing, I was nine years old and went to Costa Rica. Swapna um, has been here for 20, 20 some years, 20 some years. And your first year is monumental, you know, and I can remember the friendships that I developed as a nine-year-old that really took me to the place to be able to communicate. And, um, one guy in particular, I got mad at him later, but he spoke perfect English and I had no idea until we'd been friends for five years. Wow. And then I was like, you, you could speak this whole time. And he goes, (laughs) yeah, but. And he was young. He was my age. He goes, yeah, but if I would have spoke to you in English, then you would have never learned Spanish. And I was like, Ugh. Which is just why very it loving. Takes two weeks for my students to know yeah. that I learned that I know Spanish. Yeah, very loving, and very loving. I will do all of the hand gestures. I will do all of the <laughs> like. They go, I don't understand. I'm like, head, uh-huh. shoulders. Like we've <laughs> like we'll do the TPR total yeah. total physical response, act out everything, and then their parents show up for open house, and I go, hello, and yeah. I talk to them in Spanish, and the kids. <gasps> The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to learn. My job right. is to teach you English. We can talk Spanish all you want on the side, but during my class, it is English. Unless you're really, it's just really going over your head, then I'll, yeah. Very then I'll break out the, the Spanish, but hmm. it's my hidden secret. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting as we, as we are talking about learning. And so there is this line between being kind of tough, not tough in the sense of harsh, but tough as to holding your value of, I'm not going to speak in Spanish to you and then the relational connection part which is Mm -hmm. I care about you and I want to know you 
I want a relationship with you because it's going to be important for you. And learning can only happen in the context of a relationship. Right. And uh, that's what I believe is I feel healing, learning, connection is primary to so many things in life. So so I, I think it must be hard for you to be a teacher, which you really have to expect and hold them to certain accountability. And then you are also a connection that they dearly need in, as they come in. So how do you balance this? I think it's a learned behavior. It's definitely, so my degree is in education. I studied it. I did all of the lesson plans. I, but until you're in the class, you don't actually know. And every single year it's different because uh. every kid is different. And so every classroom dynamic is going to look different. Um, and I remember, and it's actually going around on Facebook again because school's about to start, but some of the advice that they said was the best advice to give teachers years ago was do not smile until December. You go in your classroom, you set rules, you set expectations, and you do not smile until December. Did they really wow. say do not smile? And to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm a happy person. I do sometimes like just zone out and get that like where I don't have the smile on my face. But it's like, no, you have to you have to build a relationship with them. And I need to know, and um, with our kids, we stress the importance of pronunciation of their name. Like you get it uh. right. You don't give them an Americanized name. You don't change it. Or if you mispronounce, you apologize. Like you figure it mm -hmm. out, you learn, you build that relationship because <laughs> without that, like I can't expect them to learn or listen to me if they don't respect me. Respect right. is a two way road. Right. Um, there are some teachers that are like, well, they need to respect me first. Like, well, no kind of the same as parenting if I want my child to listen to me he needs to know that I'm a safe person that he can come to with anything but that I'm also the choices and the like rules that I have are set to keep him safe mm -hmm. and it's the same in my classroom like this is a safe learning area this is where we're here to learn but if you're having a bad day like mm. take a minute um we learning can go on hold if something happens um and so there have been a few days where we've ditch the lesson plan. We sit in our little kumbaya circles and we just talk it out. If there's drama going on in school because high school kids drama, oh, oh. Yeah. I always am like, I don't want high school drama. And then I, high school drama forever. <laughs> but it's like sometimes, um, cause like you were saying with the really good friends, it's really funny. A lot of relationships start with they're friends when they're with me and then they graduate high school and like they're still best friends and oh my goodness look who just got married oh, and like wow. they are yeah. really deep meaningful friendships because mm -hmm. if they go outside we have a um we're a newcomer academy so they are very bubbled they stay mm -hmm. with the same kids all day this is their family and so if if one person is mad at another one just like in a family everybody's mm -hmm. upset so you have to sit and talk it out and be like okay it's a misunderstanding so you gotta watch that <laughs> <laughs> yes so it's a lot of just learning to adapt with kids um, and with it changing every year you have to give it a couple weeks to really understand do our personalities match mm -hmm. well together if we switch a couple kids around is that going to make a difference how can we make their learning environment the best for them versus how do I make the kids better for me? Like I'm not there for mm -hmm. me. I am there for them. And so figuring out we do at the beginning of the year, like what's your learning style? How do you, do you like to see things first or do you like to hear it first? Or where are you at so that we can figure out how to differentiate and mm -hmm. how to make it better for them. Um, but that's also hard for teachers to grasp too, because it's a lot of work. But if you put in the work at the beginning, it's less work in the end. Hmm. Your um, your 
kind of interest in caring for these kids and and building relationships and then your journey with foster care has opened your mind that I don't know maybe it was a natural for you but I don't know if everybody naturally would have gone where you went because you just recently finished a master's degree tell us a little bit about that and how that's helped your understanding and relationships and all that I graduated with a master's degree in trauma-informed education which um I've always wanted to go for a master's degree, but I was just never really sure what it, what, what, I, what I wanted it to be in. Um, and then trauma is kind of the buzzword post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always been around. Trauma's always been talked about. It's always been kind of there for people. But now, more than ever, I feel like it's top of mind for a lot of people. And I knew coming back from COVID that life was going to look a lot different. Kids were going to need a lot more support um, and even transitioning out. And back into this new normal, a lot of people have experienced trauma, whether through COVID, whether through loss, whether whatever it could be, um, that I just wanted to be a better teacher um, through understanding that trauma exists, um, whether it's every kid has some sort of trauma, or if I treat them all the same as if they did have trauma, I'm going to be a better teacher. I'm going to be able to understand that, you know, he's acting out today, but he's not a bad kid. So something has happened and I can pull him aside and say, hey, do you need to talk about it? Do you not need to talk about it? Do you need a second over here? Do you need a fidget spinner? Why are you up walking around? You're very nervous today that I can kind of try to figure out what is going on with kids and be prepared for the day as soon as they walk in my classroom. Because Mm -hmm. if I have that strong relationship, if my always smiley kid comes in and looks like they've just been crying in the bathroom, that class isn't going to go well Mm -hmm. for me or for them until like, Do you need to go back to the bathroom? That it's kind of given me insight into how to read kids a little bit better and see what what do you need. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you you were telling us earlier that you were a foster parent starting at a young age and uh, did that for over seven years and uh, had more than 10 children come and live with you for different periods of time and so I feel like that's a lot of experience in children who are not your own and yet you become their mother and uh, the family that they need at that moment so I feel like that's something that you may have even like just learned through this experiential living and now you're just extending to to the classroom. Yes there was a lot of learning that needed to happen I wish that I would have known sooner just because I see that um, in the beginning I wasn't really sure I was going based off of what I was taught and how I was grown up how I grew up and Mm -hmm. what I was taught in school and how I was taught to act and behave but when you have a child whose brain isn't working at its full capacity and we have it like in that dysregulated brain we could go into the whole brain conversation but if a kid isn't in a calm state and their brain fully functioning they it's not worth it. And so I'm trying to negotiate and like level with a kid that I, that is just, their brain's not working. It's in mm. that flight or flyer freeze mode. Like, it's just like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. You're talking to me. I don't. And I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing that had I known that I needed to, you know what, we're going to take a step back, take a couple breaths. Let's try to get our brain calmed down a little bit and then get them out of that like high state of panic. I think a, a lot of those fights that I had as a, a parent where I'm like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, would have been a lot easier just because mm. I'm learning that 
what they've been through has it's not just like a a little tab on their resume it has actually like permanently changed their brain chemistry and so trying to figure out me as a parent I'm like I have to do the work I have to put in a lot more work Mm -hmm. to understand that like we need to take a setback or what do you need in this moment because me yelling at you obviously isn't isn't okay and and so now that we have our adopted three-year-old I try things and it's been for us my husband and I we see it like we're there with him all the time but we'll be at a grocery store and he'll be having a meltdown and parents see me saying do you need a snack or water like what do you need well we're in a grocery store I open a thing of fruit snacks or I have fruit snacks or something in my purse because if he's hungry he can't mm-hmm. understand like I can't throw a fit like all I'm my brain is telling me I'm hungry I need food I need food I need food I'm not listening to everything else that I can't yell at a grocery store <laughs> and so people say why is she giving in to like what he needs I'm not I'm feeding his physical like his brain is telling him I need food if I can meet that need of food then I can handle you don't yell and throw things in a grocery store if I don't feed the need, then my saying, you can't throw things in a grocery store goes completely out, out the window because he's like, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm paying attention to my stomach is telling me that I'm hungry. Um, and with him, he drinks water all the time. Um, and so we're like, first, if you're upset, do you need water? Like we're going to (laughs) get you a sip of water. Does that calm your system down enough? It's like now as a three-year-old, I'm like, we are like pro parents. Just <laughs> you know, you like, have, it almost is like you have a three-year-old, but you're not a parent of a three-year-old because you've had this early different parenting experiences. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So I am a parent. Uh, and when I wear my parent hat, my oldest is kind of the the guinea pig in the house. And my <laughs> younger one and is then the better cake that I can bake with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like for you, it might be that you've baked some cakes before. So Jeremiah gets the benefit of a mother who can slow down and um, can slow down enough uh, to first get his physical needs met before like being upset. You know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about this brain research by Michael Meany in Canada. So he, it's super funny. It's like these rats uh, have like, uh, when they have pups, they can be high licking and grooming rats. Do yeah. you know that, about yes. that? That uh-huh. little chart. And then there are some rat moms that are like, oh, no, I don't need to lick and groom. Licking is a grooming behavior in rats. And mm-hmm. they're like, I don't need to do it. So the children who are born to the poor lickers, poor licking moms... <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I know. So be a licker. No. <laughs> um, but Jeremiah, if you're listening, no, licking is still not yeah, allowed. Yeah, not okay. Not okay. <laughs> so anyway, so they their brains are much more dysregulated. But but the interesting thing is that uh, he plays these pups of uh, poor grooming mothers to high grooming mothers, and biologically they look like they were genetic offspring of the high high licking, high grooming mothers. So. Huh. Environment has such a phenomenal impact in rewiring the brain. Right. And that's what we are talking about. We are talking about rewiring the brain in students, the high school students you see through connection. And you're talking about rewiring the brain in foster children and uh, just co-regulating together. Like when you are upset, it's not going to make the other person less upset. You're, you're both going to be in the fight or flight mode. and Right. When you calm down enough to ask, okay, what what do you need? I think it's like a co-regulation. It's the mirror neurons sparking each other into 
स्लोअर कामर हाय लिकिंग some uh, like an informed uh, de- definition or maybe a framework for trauma like what is and what isn't because i think that's probably why post covid there's this highlighted interest in it and yet i'm not sure if people truly understand what it is because some people are like i'm traumatized because i didn't get supersized at Walmart, at mcdonald's and now i'm offended and i just can't function and it's like well i don't know if that's just spoiled Yeah. But what is trauma like? Loss in a country, you know, your home country, loss of a family, loss of a family member. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. so have you found an informed framework for trauma? I still feel like there's so many definitions out there, but I do feel like so it went from being underused to now it's used for everything. Right. Oh, right. Like my Starbucks order was wrong. Yeah. I'm traumatized or oh my haircut went went horrible. Right. Um but I think in the scenarios that we're talking about here it's poverty, it's hmm. um for parents it's like infant loss, it's uh like divorce kind of anything and there's like different variations there's chronic traumas um mm-hmm. acute trauma that's just like it happens one time there's chronic where it's an a, an event that happens over and over and over again um where we can get into some of the like the tougher stuff um but it's just any event that alters your brain how your brain processes from here on out so but it's also um resiliency plays into that a little bit too. Yeah. So we would talk about um we could have two kids if we go back kind of to this like rat metaphor if we have two things that we're comparing. We could have a kid that has a really strong family unit um and their house burns down in a fire. Um that's a very traumatic experience for some people. Um but because they have a strong family unit, they're able to move into a hotel quickly. Um they have a church and friends and family that are able to replenish clothing items. Um they can get them their pets survived the fire everything like that it's a traumatic event but it's not going to permanently impact their life it's more acute yeah. because it happened we were able to move on um we're fine we're safe mm-hmm. versus if a kid in a home that's kind of already in a little bit of chaos already in that fight or flight freeze mode their house burns down they have no access to hotels they're out sleeping on the street that event is going mm-hmm. to alter how they view life moving forward. Yeah. Um and so it's those events when um something happens and they talk about it with school shootings a lot too is mm. that it can impact more more than others. And so then trying to figure out how to still cover all of the kids and make sure everybody's okay but really focus on the kids that are struggling the most. Um and how do you get them services? And so um right now a lot of schools are pushing PBIS positive behavior intervention systems. Um we're everyone there's different tiers so tier 1 is everyone so everybody gets access to all of these things whether it's a survey asking how your home life is whether it's um like at our school we have to post that we're responsible ready respectful what does that look like what does it look like in the classroom to be ready you have yeah. your computer all of these things um but that survey then gives results to kids that need a little bit more like whether it's counseling sessions or maybe um like group counseling or just kind of more check-ins or resources would be tier 2 and then you have your tier 3 kids and so they structure them based on a lot of it's based off of what traumatic events have happened how are they processing um what's going on in their life do they have a strong unit that will be able to support them through something or yeah. are they just kind of on their own um yeah. and so i think that's where for me it was interesting to then look and be like okay how can we help those tier 2 kids that are often forgotten like you start in the ISS room why are you in the ISS room your teacher took your phone away. Okay, how many times have they 
talk to you about it, that it's like, if we could go back to the teacher and say, you know what, this kid really has to have a phone. They did a study with a school, I think, I don't, maybe in California, I forget exactly where, um, where they made the kids turn in their cell phones, but they weighed their cell phone. They got a brick that was the exact weight of their phone and they carried it around. Those kids were less anxious. It's not that they need to be on their phone. They just need to have it. And so having that weight made wow. them less anxious. It's like a day. transitional object almost. It's, wow. it's like a security blanket, yeah. especially for us, all of us now that we are so used to having an extension of our mind in the phone. Yep. And for 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 kids who have never grown up without a cell phone, I feel like it's almost a part of their body. And so mm-hmm. when you take that mm-hmm. away, and you can you imagine that. why that kid is like angry, upset with the teacher, throwing a fit. It, a lot of times it's the teacher that has started the, and if, if you as a teacher can figure out those triggers, okay, this kid really needs his phone or at least needs something in his hand. Like, hey, we're taking a test. You can't have your phone right now, but can I give you this um, like snow yeah. globe or something instead? It's just the weight of having right. having something or like you have to keep it in your pocket. Like you can have it on you, um, but it has to be in your pocket. Um, just trying to figure out what are, and I know like ACT, SAT, you cannot have your phone. That's mm. a different thing. I'm right. talking about like in the classroom when you're creating that safe thing, you've got to figure out how to meet your kids with what needs they have. Cause it's the like cell the food phone, thing. It's maybe the, food the thing, only the water thing. thing. It's that yeah. thing that is Meeting so people. distracting that I can't even listen to you cause I'm so distracted. You know, it reminds me last year with Christy had cancer. Um, I spoke with the principals and the teachers and got special permission for Lily to have her phone in her pocket. She was never going to pull it out. She's never going to do anything. But Lily was heightened in her fear mm-hmm. when we were doing treatments or mm-hmm. Christy was in the hospital. And mm-hmm. so doing that, her anxiety came way down because she mm-hmm. knew if something needed to happen, she could get and we can get in touch with her. And so I, I do think, I, I think some kids probably would take advantage of that. But really, I think understanding each individual kid makes makes all the difference in the world. You know? uh, and I bet she learned better last year because she had oh. that and that affective filter was well, lower. The, She's not yeah. as she nervous. She understood that the she... teachers and the principals were on her side. They understood what, you know, they couldn't walk with at her, you know, like exactly. But at least they were empathetic, mm-hmm. you know. So I, it did. It made a difference. It made a difference. Mm-hmm. And she actually finished the year with great grades and and uh, focused. And so really good. Yeah. That's quite incredible to kind of figure out how to meet someone where they are at. So it takes a little bit of you walking in their skin, right? You cannot really meet anyone where they are at without walking in their skin, walking in their shoes for a second and knowing where they are at. So it's, it's an interesting thing from a teaching perspective. I'm a physician from a healing perspective. You are yeah. a pastor from a spiritual perspective. Really, right. it's not one size fits all. It's, it's kind of really, really to connect, to go to that next level. I used that word di- differentiating earlier. And really, uh, in, in my experience with trauma or at least informed you know, understanding what, what you're working through in a ministry with, you know, with, with all different people with different walks of life, the differentiation, you know, I can either, I can either understand that they're going through something unique in their situation, and then I can pick it up and become as anxious as they are, or I can pull myself away and say, okay, so I understand that you're going through, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be as stressed as you are because I need to be different so that I can help you move out. So like mm-hmm. in the store with AJ, you know, with JJ, if you were like, are you thirsty or hungry? And you just start eating the fruit snacks and you, you don't need that. You know what I'm saying? He's the one that needs that. So, 
Um, or you look around and everybody else is, is freaking out because you're, mom, what are you doing? You know, and you're just pausing and saying, hey, this is what he needs right now. It's okay. I can, I can, people can look at me weird because <laughs> most parents at a restaurant like me, I have a three-year-old, four, two-year-old. I'm running to the car, pick him up, run to the car, be like, all right, we're going to sit out here until you calm down because <laughs> it's embarrassing for me. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> That's still sometimes my reaction. I'm like, nope, I have to slow down. I'm like, okay, we're yeah. going to go talk. We're going to just go take a minute, go outside. Like, do you need a hug? Like, where are we at? Right. Like, what? Sometimes I'm like, you know what? No, I need the break. I'm going to yeah. go to the bathroom. I'm going to walk to the bathroom, calm down, get out from where I feel like everybody's <laughs> looking at me. And then I come back. I'm like, okay, everything's fine. Like, it's really, it's really okay. And so I think parent shaming is the hard part with that one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's been great to kind of hear some of your story. I know there's a lot more to... I got a bunch of questions just popped up right here at the end, but that's normal for our podcast. So <laughs> yeah. we'll have well, to have you back sometime. I just wanted to thank you for doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. I feel just foster, being a foster parent takes such a big heart and you've done that. And then taking those learnings and using it in a trauma-informed uh, teaching uh, setting for children who are clearly at a disadvantage as they come in. Some are not, but really coming from more difficult situations. So thank you for doing yes. what you're doing. And uh, thank you for telling us a little bit about about it and giving us a window into your life. And, and who knows what the impact's going to be for this community and the community at large over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, I, we thank yeah. you for that because that's a, that's a massive sacrifice in a way that's that I know it blesses you too. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.